I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. We are uh, beginning today a, uh, a series on the last days of Christ. And basically our message today comes from an event in the life of Jesus uh, approximately six days before that final Passover. And so we'll be looking over the next couple of months at different incidents, different things that happened at the last, uh, in the last week of Christ uh, before he went to the cross. And... Um, Today, uh, we are beginning in John chapter 12 as we study this passage, uh, which is about the anointing of Jesus. Would you uh, stand, please, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive pure perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, If that perfume was worth a year's wages, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some from himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and each of them so different, so unique, their own personalities and, and, and their own ways of serving you, but this family, this brother and two sisters who loved you uh, deeply, Father. They, they loved Jesus, and we learned so much from them in Scripture. Thank you for their example. Thank you for uh, this testimony that we have uh, of this great love that Mary had for Jesus. And we pray that uh, through reading your word that our spirits would be quickened by your spirit, that they would come alive and, and just realize how amazing your love is for us and how our love is in turn to be a great love uh, after your heart, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So the message today is entitled, Extravagant Love. And when you say something like extravagant love, that's kind of like seeing a red rose. The month we're in, February, a little something-something just happened this past week. Some of y'all know or 
you're in trouble for not knowing that Valentine's Day just happened this past week. And, and when I say that, some of you are kind of like, um, oh, man, Brother Tim, don't bring that up. I was just now trying to live that down. I, I forgot or, or I tried, <laughs> you know, but it just didn't measure up what I was trying to do. And some of you are like, well, oh, that was in February this year. You know, yeah, and you'll figure out. Uh, and then, uh, but some of you are feeling pretty good about that. You're like, oh, yeah, this is Valentine's. I, you know, I did all right. I, I mean, I, I'm sitting well. I scored some points. And, and, and you're real confident. You know, your wife shared on Facebook, oh, look at this precious so-and-so and what he did for me. And everybody liked it and loved it and oohed and ah. And, and you're feeling real good about yourself, about how well you did. Now, you never know, though, because she might just be saying, you know what, that's a pitiful attempt, but I'm going to encourage him so he'll do better next time, okay? So don't be too confident uh, if you think you did that well. But, um, you know, it, it's funny, we, all, we have these different feelings about how well we did or didn't do, maybe on Valentine's Day. But if we're one of the ones who said, oh, yeah, this was this month, or, oh, I didn't do too well, and we see those people who, you know, oh, everything's great. You, you notice how we tend to make up an excuse or explanation for them? It's, well, they're newlyweds. I mean, come on, that'll wear off soon. Or, or we see something great, and, you know, she, she's wearing this new ring, and we're like, wonder what hole he's digging himself out of, you know? We, we tend to kind of come up with reasons or explanations because when we see extravagant displays of love, we just say, that's, that's not normal. And what we have in this passage is an extravagant display of love. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, we know from the Gospels that they were close associates with Jesus. They loved Jesus. We know Lazarus was the one that Jesus said, come forth, raised him from the dead. We, we all remember the, whole, the old story about, you know, Martha saying, come on, Jesus, tell Mary. She's just sitting here. Tell her to get up and help me because she was that type A who had to get around and do everything. We, we remember the stories about this family and how they were, you know, so closely connected to Jesus. And here we have this story of extravagant love. Martha anoints Jesus with this stuff called nard. Now, nard makes no sense to any of us. In fact, we, now, like, we don't know what, you know, frankincense and myrrh are, but we kind of think we know what they are because we've heard it in the Christmas story. Nard, we have no clue. But let me tell you about nard, okay? The limited amount of research that I looked up said this was a special ointment or spice that came from India. And we're used to getting stuff from Asia cheap now, right? I, I'm going to get order something from China. It's going to come quick and cheap. But back in the day, if you had to get something, a special rare exotic spice or ointment, and it came all the way from India, this was extremely expensive. In fact, the Bible tells us that this, this little 12-ounce jar was about one year's wage. That's how much it cost. That's how, much, how precious and costly it was. Could have supported a family for a year. And she anoints Jesus' feet with it. Now, now what is anointing? Well, in, you know, in the Bible, anointing can mean different things. I mean, it, all, it always involves putting something on someone, you know, like olive oil or, or something. But sometimes anointing was someone was anointed in that they were set apart to serve. Remember, David was anointed by the prophet that he was going to be king. 
In other circumstances and situations, the Bible talks about people being anointed because they're in poor health, and we're going to pray for them, and we're going to anoint them with oil, and, and, and we're going to see what God does. But a third type of anointing was an anointing for death. This was a preparation that, that people would take a body and prepare it uh, for the tomb they, by anointing it with special, uh, special oils and substances. And here, Jesus isn't dead yet, though. But he goes, she goes ahead, and Mary breaks open this jar of nard worth a year's wages. And she takes her hair down, and she wipes his feet and anoints his feet with this oil. And there's this extravagant thing that she's doing. I mean, everybody is just staring. And, you know, you, I don't care what you say, you know, how good these people were. It, we can't help it. It's human nature. I love to watch when something happens in church, you know, someone gets that little tickle or, or some kid starts acting up. Because I'm looking at all of you, and all of a sudden you're trying hard to track with the message, but you just can't help it. I see, your, your, you know, your, your faces, your heads just turn. You can't help but look at that distraction. And so I imagine there might have been hundreds of people in this very public banquet, but she does this, and I mean, it's like the record stops, and everybody focuses and looks at this extravagant act that's going on. And they're all kind of dumbfounded and bewildered and like, what in the world do we make of this? But then someone gets their voice, and it's Judas. And Judas says, how dare you? This could have been given to the poor. Isn't it funny that the ones to judge often have the most to hide? They pretend, they hide under a veneer of respectability, and obviously he was very respectable or he wouldn't have been the one carrying the money. But here he judges, how dare you? And the Bible says, we all know he didn't believe, he didn't care about the poor, he just simply wanted the money for himself. And he thought, man, if she had given that donation, I could have skimmed a nice little bit off the top. And Jesus looks at Judas. You know, he rebukes Judas for this in a way. He never rebukes Judas for what he does to him, his own betrayal. Not in this way. But, but when Judas fusses at Mary, he looks at Judas and says, leave her alone. You step off of her. Because what she did was something beautiful. It was something wonderful. It was something special going on right here. You're going to have the poor with you always. Guess what? God wants us to help the poor. He tells us all throughout Scripture. Will we ever eliminate poverty? Never. <laughs> Jesus said, go ahead and just know this. The poor you'll have with you always. But I'm here right now at this special time, and she's done something amazing. And so that was an extravagant love. So if we as human beings, we try to explain that explain extravagant love by saying, oh, the newlyweds, or oh, you know, he did something bad. How do we explain this act? Of course, it's not a married couple we're trying to figure out about, but how do we explain this act of extravagant love from Mary to her Savior, Jesus? I think if we're to understand what Mary did, we really actually need to contemplate what she didn't do. So I want us to think this morning about four things that Mary didn't do. And when we understand what she didn't do, it will explain why she did what she did. Number one, Mary didn't distance herself from Jesus. 
a lot of times we might eat ourselves to death or drink ourselves to death or smoke ourselves to death or entertain ourselves to death. We do all sorts of things to extremes. And then yet we say, but you know what? With this whole religion thing, I, I need to be moderate here now. I need, I need to not go overboard. And the same people who are called sports fans, right, short for fanatics, are, are often the same ones who are like, no, I need, to, I need to maintain some distance here. I mean, can you imagine what people would think if you were going down the road and you had little flags streaming off your car that said, Jesus saves, you know, oh my goodness, what are they, some nut? But if it's our SEC team we like, that's just fine. We can advertise to the world how great it is. But somehow, a lot of us say, you know, yeah, I like Jesus and all, but I don't want to get too carried away i don't want to be a holy roller but you know she never distanced herself from jesus in fact when you look at the gospel accounts every time you see mary and martha and lazarus you know where you always find mary at the feet of jesus at the feet of jesus she is right there as close as you can get and you might say well she's a teacher's pet and guess what if there's ever a teacher you want to be a pet of, it'd be Jesus. You, you know, sometimes we have to understand that the further we get away from Jesus, the less likely we are, we are to hear himself clearly. A while back, Caleb and I were talking about uh, his freshman year at Mississippi State. Engineering is not easy, folks. He's got some tough classes, some physics and some chemistry and all these things. And we were talking one day and he said, he said, yes, sometimes it's hard to pay attention, Dad. And I said, I know, I've been there. I said, you know what? I said, here's my thing. It might not help you. But I always sat as close up as I could. Because the more people I had between me and the teacher, the more things I saw what, what he was wearing and what she was doing. And, and, and all these things were in between us for me to get distracted. But if I sat right up underneath the teacher, you know, maybe, just maybe, I could tune some of these things out and I could really get more of what I'm actually supposed to be in class for, and that's to learn. And Mary was like that. It reminded me several years ago, I heard another pastor tell a story about they were at a ministerial gathering and, you know, I mean, ministers, what, what, what do you talk about? Well, what's your church running? Or, or you know, where'd you go to seminary? And, and he talked about this, this pastor said, well, I went to such and such seminary. Where'd you go? And the man said, I, I went to the school of Mary. And he said, oh, really? The school of Mary? Is that, is that a Catholic school? I mean, what, what, what's the school of Mary? And he said, I learned from sitting at Jesus' feet. I never got a formal education, but I learned the power in my ministry, in my preaching, in my Christian life. I learned from sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's more powerful than any academic degree you can ever receive. You and I need to understand what Mary understood, and that is while we should be moderate in a, a, a million and one different things, there is no need for moderation in our love for Jesus. There is no need for us to put a distance between us, no need to keep at arm's length. We should be as close to Jesus as we possibly can. So the first thing that she didn't do was distance herself from Jesus. The second thing that she didn't do that explains this extravagant love is she didn't doubt Jesus' word. Mary didn't doubt Jesus' word. What do, you, what do I mean by that? Well, guess what? You start flipping through the Gospels, and all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
Jesus will be out there feeding the 5,000 or, you know, uh, healing this man, casting out demons, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. But all in between there, he, he pops out little hints like, hey, the Son of Man one day is going to be taken away. One day I will die. One day I'm going to be crucified. And you know what the disciples did? When they heard that kind of stuff, they either checked out and ignored it, or the other time, oh, Jesus, don't talk that way. You just, come on, Jesus, don't talk like that. They just didn't take him at his word. Sometimes we think some people, we get disappointed at times like, Christmas and Thanksgiving, not in what others do for us, but what we can do for others. We get really frustrated. We're like, they're such good gift givers. I mean, they just make me mad. They're so good. I mean, they just come up with stuff all the time. They, they always know just the right thing, and none of the rest of us can live up to that level. We all look bad in comparison, you know. And, and you know what is a thing about gift givers that are really good? They listen. They listen. It may be that five months before Christmas, you just happen to be dreaming, talking one day, and say, I, I, you know, one day I might get one of these things. And you blow it off as a dream, but they listen. And they may even go back and write down, and they hold on to that. Or maybe they just listen to who you are, your preferences, your personality, what you're about, and they know you so well that they can give you the perfect gift. How in the world did Mary, not one, of the, not one of the inner circle, not one of the 12, how did she know when none of the others got it that he was going to the cross, how did she know that she needed to anoint him with this costly oil so that he could be prepared for his upcoming death? She listened. She sat at the feet of Jesus, and she didn't ignore what he said. She actually Listen, she did not doubt his word like the disciples did. She didn't just, you know, th throw it aside. Okay, Jesus, I hear you. You're going to the cross. Here's what I can do. She didn't distance herself. She didn't doubt Jesus' word. Number three, she didn't delay her plan. This is very important. If you want to be an extravagant giver. If you want to be someone who blesses others with expressions of extravagant love in your life, you cannot delay your plans. Because I want to tell you that all of us have had awesome ideas for blessing others. We get them one day, we hear a name, <coughs> or it just pops in our head, and we're like, oh man. You know, if I was to call so-and-so, and I was to put in a good, good word for him, or, you know, if, if I was to pick up this for them, or if I was to do that, and we think about, oh, that would be awesome. And, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get around to that one day. I'm fixing the, I, I'm going to. But it always stays in the future tense. It always stays as this dream about, wouldn't that be nice if I wrote this note, if I made this phone call, if I gave this gift? And in our minds, it's a wonderful thing. And in reality, it would have been a wonderful thing. But we don't do it. We say, I'm gonna. In the Christian life, we confuse intention with obedience. And they are not the same at all. Obedience begins with intention. 
But obedience goes beyond intention to action. Is where we say, wouldn't this be nice? Yes, it would be. God's laid it on my heart, so I'm going to actually do it. I'm going to go by and see them. I'm going to make that call. I'm going to give this gift. (coughs) Perhaps there were dozens of others who thought the same thought that she did. Maybe they listened. Maybe they picked up and they said, wouldn't it be nice if I did But nobody else did. But she didn't delay. She didn't just have an intention. She had an action. And she put that extravagant love into play. (coughs) What did Mary not do? She didn't distance herself from Jesus. She didn't doubt Jesus' word. She didn't delay her plan. And finally, she didn't dwell on the critics. She didn't dwell on the critics. I want to guarantee you that as soon as this idea popped in her head, and she said, oh, this is what I need to do. I've been dying to show Jesus how much I love him, how appreciative I am that he is my everything as my Lord and Savior. Don't you know the second she had that thought, the next thought was from the devil saying, oh, now, what are people going to think? You know, we know that before you came to Jesus, You came out of a life of sin. You were kind of a bad woman. People talk about you anyway. Are you sure that you really want people talking about you when you do this? What if Jesus doesn't take it well? What if you embarrass your family? And on and on and on, all the voices of the critics would start playing in her head. And if we're honest, some of the reasons some of us have put off these things, some of us we just, you know, procrastinated, but others are like, oh. I really don't know, you know, what, what are others going to think? And guess what? The critics never accomplish anything in this life. It is the people who forge ahead despite criticism. It's not that we don't listen to others, but if you wait until you said, I'm going to do it and everybody's going to like it, you'll never do anything. There will always be people like Judas who are judgmental. And we look at it and like, well, of course, Judas, he was evil. But guess what? If you look at this in other gospel accounts, it kind of uses the general term, the disciples. It was kind of like all of us, churchy people, can get a little judgmental when we don't like something. It's not the way we would have voted or the way, well, they could have. It wasn't just Judas. It was really the whole sentiment of the crowd. What are you doing, woman? I mean, come on, send Jesus a card, get him some flowers, tell him you love him. But a year's wage, how in the world could you do this when there's starving people out there on the street? And if she'd have listened to the critics, I guarantee you she knew what was going to be said before it was ever said. And some of you are the same way, and it's held you back for doing what God has done for you, showing extravagant love. I'm going to tell you an example from uh, some folks. I know some folks in my family. Um, my, uh, one of my aunts and uncles got bunches of them, but one of them decided that their kids are grown, they're well taken care of, and they've done all right. They're not wealthy, wealthy or anything like that, but they've done all right with their money. And they, um, I found out a few years back <clears throat> they've, that when they pass on, that money will not be going to my cousins. That money is going to be going to missions to a mission agency that spreads the gospel uh, in the continent of Asia. And I'll be honest, when I 
first heard that, I was like, whoa, poor cousins. <laughs> you know, as a pastor, what, what should I have said? Praise Jesus, that's wonderful. But I kind of got in the flesh and said, well, I hope mom and dad don't get that same idea for me. You know, I hope this isn't spreading. I don't like that idea. It's kind of nuts, giving all your money to mission agencies. Is this a cult thing? What's going on here? Because we're not used to people doing extravagant things for Jesus. We keep our distance. We remain calm. But God says, I want you to be all in. I want you to be all in with me. And yeah, there's going to be criticizers. Yeah, there's going to be people who, who mock you. But you know what Jesus said? Not only did he say, leave her alone, but listen to what he said in another account in Matthew's gospel. He said this. He said, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And right near, and right now, 2,000 years later, we're discussing. We're talking about it. We are one of the many, many millions of fulfillments of this prophecy right now because we're still talking about the extravagant love that Mary gave to Jesus. So if you want to wow your Facebook friends, order roses, a ring, whatever else that looks impressive, it won't hurt your marriage either. Be a good thing, I guess. But let me tell you this. If you want to be remembered for eternity and not even just among people, because people are going to criticize. But if you want God to take note, do something extravagant for him like Mary did. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you and God, I want to acknowledge <clears throat> I'm not good at extravagant giving or generosity. In fact, my, my selfish nature fights against that. And sometimes it's just because I put it off, and sometimes it's because I've kept a distance. And Lord, there's all kind of reasons, and I, I feel like maybe others here today are in the same boat as me. And Father, we want to be like Mary. We want to not be caught up and all the exterior things. God, we want to just simply sit at your feet. God, we want to draw close. We want to worship. We want to experience the fellowship that comes from receiving your extravagant love for us. And in return, expressing extravagant love back to you. God, I pray that is what you would grant us today. Is that kind of love for you. Because you had that kind of love for us first. Most fully on the cross. Take this passage of scripture and apply it to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we